Hi, from 22 North, I'm Gary Walker and this is Enlighten. Enlighten is a podcast exploring the future of work. Each episode will chat about the latest news, discuss different topics and look to interview people who have experimented with new ways of working. Hi, Gary Walker here, welcoming you to another episode of Enlighten, presented by 22 North. So this week we've got a real treat for you as we're joined by Swavi Shimchik. He's the Global Director of Digital and Retail for Adidas. Now, Swavi has had an interesting childhood. His parents moved the family from Poland when he was only age 10 all the way to New York, and all this despite none of them knowing a word of English. He studied at the same institute as Calvin Klein and Michael Kors, and during his career so far, he's worked with some of the most innovative brands in the world, such as Nike, Samsung, and Adidas. All this along with his views on the future of retail stores. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, good. How are you? Uh, all good. Happy Labor Day. Is it Labor, yeah, is it, hey. is it Labor Day? Yeah, yeah. It is. Are you guys working or not? No, no, no. We work. We work on Labor Day. The irony is that we work on Labor Day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, in Germany, we love a day off. So it's. Uh... <laughs> Where is it? You're based in Germany? What about? Uh, in Nuremberg, I live in Nuremberg, but it's a uh, Hertogenauer is the town where Adi is based. So Swabie, so what were the origins of that? Is it? Uh, it's Polish, so I was actually born in Poland. Oh, right, okay, so that's good because I wrote Poland. I'll not tell you the other country I had written in case you like just hang up on me. Uh, it's not the one next door that's being taken over right now, is it? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I was well, my my gra- my great grandmother's Russian. So I was like, I was kind of thinking, is it Russian maybe origin or Polish origin or, yeah, so. Yeah, no, totally Polish. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so when I was like born in Poland, like when I was 10, um, my parents and I moved to New York, or actually New Jersey. Um, and yeah, it was actually super interesting because like, uh, you know, coming from Poland in the mid 80s, uh, it was about 86, I think. Um, you know, I'd never seen like a VCR or a grocery store that had like more than two types of fruit that you could actually touch. Uh, <laughs> and like 37 checkouts at like a, a path mark or whatever. I was like, what is this place? <laughs> um, so yeah, no, that was a, it was a bit of like a culture shock. But, did you um, speak it? Did you speak English at this point, or like, yeah. oh my god, wow. So, and what were your parents? What was the kind of motivator, or like, um, yeah, like full on American dream. Okay. Um, yeah, no. So, uh, yeah, I mean, actually, neither, uh, actually, none of us spoke English when we moved. So, um, yeah, like my dad went to work, my mom went to. English classes first and then like started working. Um, and then, yeah, my brother and I were just in school basically. So like the morning would be English lessons and then like the afternoon actual lessons. Fairly rough for the first three months. I say that's like unbelievable. Like for everyone not to have spoken a word of English to go out there, that's, uh, yeah, that's really admirable. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because uh, we talked about Ariane earlier and it was a similar story where our parents come over to Oxford in England and like yeah. didn't speak a word and it's, it's just amazing. Uh, so yeah, so you kind of, do you remember growing up in Poland or was it very much like your memories um, kind of US? No, I, I, I do. I mean, I was 10 when I left, so I remember some parts of it, but uh, 
it definitely like I think my formative years obviously happened after that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it was lovely. But like, what do you know as a kid, right? Uh, like, you remember, you know, looking back, I'm quite like a history buff, and so one of the really interesting things is I was um, I was either reading or watching something about um, when martial law was instituted in Poland. And um, and there was like tanks rolling down the street, and there was like a curfew and stuff. And like as a kid, I was like, "This is so cool." Um, but reading about it, I was like, "Holy crap! We're about to be invaded!" <laughs> um, so <laughs> you know, it's, it's just a different perspective. Um, it's funny that you say that because it is kind of like I've got a seven-year-old daughter, and I love looking at life through her eyes. Like I always ask her loads of questions about what she's feeling about a certain things, and she keeps on saying, "Going to stop asking me that." And I'm like, but I'm really fascinated, like, because I, I kind of like, I have these nostalgic moments where, again, very 80s, like, she watched, um, I don't know if you ever seen the film The Goonies? Oh, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, yeah, So my daughter watched that recently, and I was like, I was having these moments of like, oh my God, I remember, like, I used to run about, like, creating treasure maps and, like, <laughs> hiding things in the woods and stuff, like, so it's kind of funny, like, you said that, like, it was really exciting, curfews tanks but then obviously the reality of jesus <laughs> this is quite real so yeah 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 well and we grew up quite close to the ukrainian border as well so like it really like i mean obviously reading about it or whatever like knowing about it later is different but yeah, as a kid you're like this is great you know it's like, it's like a parade outside of my house just like looking at the window uh, <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> Once you're in the US, so I mean, what were you passionate about when you were growing up? What What were you curious about as a kid? Like, um, so uh, funny enough, actually, airplanes because I'd never like I've been seen in I've seen airplanes, but like never been on an airplane until I was ten. Um, and so for some reason, I just like fell in love with, uh, with aviation, and um, it was actually like I think if I look back on my childhood, I'm surprised I didn't work either in aviation or television. And I tried to work in both. Um, but I just could never get a job. So, <laughs> so, what, so you you actually pursued that then? Yeah, like try to. I like I tried to work at the airport. Could I get a job? I tried to like be a flight attendant. Could I get a job? Like, um, I applied for like internships at like MTV, where a couple of my friends worked, and like Viacom, and like nothing. I mean, like I did not get anyone to like talk to me seriously. Um, so yeah, I, and then I ended up, uh, going to fashion school and like working retail and just loving it. So, um, I know they're like, a uh, boss of mine used to say there are retail people and there are non-retail people. And like, I was a retail person. <laughs> I, I, like, so you just knew that, like, you just knew that. Yeah. Me, so. yeah it's, it's just funny. Cause you know, and I mean, I still am a massive airplane nerd and like, you know, and um, like when the A380, like, oh, I was living in New Zealand and the A380 first started flying from Auckland to Sydney. Um, I like booked that flight just to be on that plane. Like, yeah. <laughs> so as you were going through school then, if you were kind of like drawn to those two industries, how did you end up at the Fashion Institute of Technology? <laughs> yeah, I went to the university first, but I did everything but go to class. So it was like an amazing two-year summer camp. Um, and then it kind of caught up with me, uh, and my parents were like, all right, like, you've got to take this seriously, or like, you've got to like, just let it go. Um, and so I let it go and I actually started working, um, at like a retail job and I was like, oh, this is actually kind of fun. 
and um, ended up uh, doing the junior executive training program at Lord and Taylor, which is a department store in New York. Um, and so I ended up going to FIT at night to finish school. So I would work during the day, go to school four nights a week and all day Saturday. Um, because, you know, I already had fun in college. Um, and did you know, and, like, I was reading and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm assuming you'll know this because you're a history buff, but I was like, Calvin Klein went there, Michael Kors oh, went yeah. there. I was like, yeah, yeah. and then I read Joel Schumacher went there and it kind of went down. But don't get me wrong, Joel Schumacher made some good films in his time, but he also made Batman and Robin and that was like awful. Wow. So <laughs> even George Clooney <laughs> slags that. They're not all going to be winners, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so that, what, what did you particularly study there then? So... Uh, so I studied merchandising management, um, which is like as broad as you will get. But essentially, um, it what you're supposed to come out of it is learning how to um, not only put together, but like manufacture, market, and um, bring to market and trade a clothing line or a shoe line or a line of whatever. So um, there was like an international business part of it. There was a legal part of it. Uh, there was obviously like fabric science and all that stuff, um, manufacturing, uh, retail math, which I sucked at. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then there was obviously like some of the like basics that you had to do as well. But, you know, like advertising, direct marketing, like, so it was really a well-rounded, um, a well-rounded offer. Um, and the great thing is, you know, as a school, it has a ton of different specialty programs. So there's like, toy design, cosmetics, obviously, fashion design, packaging design, illustration, whatever. So um, as electives, you could take, like, really different courses. Um, so, like, I took a course on, like, color, and I'm like, how the hell do you do color for a semester? But, like... Oh, no, no, yeah. So have you ever heard, have you ever read uh, Cassius Sinclair, her book um, mm -hmm. called The Secret Lives of Color? No, 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 oh, no. You have to get this book. It's so good. It's like uh, a book where she she basically studied color, similar to that. Um, but she selected her favorite stories about color, and it's a history of every single color that she selected oh, wow. in her book. But it is like awesome. It's so good. Oh my god, it's amazing! Yeah, that's. But yeah, it was it was great, and so it was really good exposure. Like the uh, one of the projects we had to do was like find a designer and basically be like their business partner. Uh, it was really, I mean, it was great because it was practical. And I think, like, early on in school, everything was just so theoretical. And I was like, I'm never going to use calculus. Like, it's just stupid. Uh, so I just didn't care. But at FIT, I was working during the day doing something quite related to it. So I'm like, now I have to learn retail math. That's part of my Tuesday. Um, and then you actually got to do the cool parts of, like, working with a designer who's, like, putting a line together. And then you sort of like taught each other about, you know, the fact that, yeah, you can't have just like six pieces. You have to have this many and this is manufacturing. And then they would like teach you more of the creative side. So it was a really well-structured program. Um, yeah. And I, I really like, I really love that I still have a relationship with the school. Um, I go back and speak there once in a while. So yeah, it's a, yeah, highly recommend it. Way better than Parsons, which is the other school. <laughs> no. When did you sort of graduate? When what what was kind of next? Because you've got like MC Berger, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I graduated. I was still uh, working at Fossil, I think at the time. Um, and then uh, MC Berger is um, 
as like a licensing company. I was hired to do factory sourcing because that's, and I went to, and this is a company like used to work with Walmart and some of the bigger guys and they would make like, you know, three and four and five dollar watches. Um, you can only imagine like how, um, how they were made. Uh, and this was before anyone actually cared that there was like really awful conditions in factories. And so um, I, I went to do like factory source. I did two trips to Asia and I just went to the owner of the company. I was like, listen, I, I can't do this for a living. Like I, I'm going to have to quit because like, I just cannot unsee what I've seen. Um, and he was like, "Ugh, you're kind of a smart kid. Like, talk to Marcy and do something in marketing. And literally, like, that's how. <laughs> wow. So he wasn't, yeah. he wasn't bothered. I take it this, he was just like, yeah, just move your I He was a bit pissed off, but like, he was just like, I mean, but whatever, you know, you hire someone straight out of college, like, they're, you know, things are going to change or whatever. So it was a family owned company. You know, it was like, they were, they were real, like tough, but nice. Um, and, you know, I, the guy does have a heart like when you come to him and like i mean i was like mortified i'm like holy shit like a, i also would have been great at that job so like are you gonna fire someone that's got something or do you like try about somewhere else and you know what if i didn't work in marketing i'm sure that he would have just been like all right see you later yeah no fair enough so you were there like and then nike which is yeah. quite, quite funny because the listeners will not know that you're going to come on to Adidas next. But we'll start with Nike for a while. <laughs> so, yeah, so you're almost four years at Nike. So, yeah, so, no, Nike was great. It was a. Uh, so, how did um, that come about? Like, was it you applying? Was it what was the. Uh, I tried to work at Nike for like two years. I like, it was another one of those like, um, you know, Viacom, Continental Airlines, like, I'm going to work here places. Uh, um, and what was and, that? Was that like a childhood thing? Was that just their no, perceived just, as very innovative? They just had such a great reputation. Like, once I got into retail, like, they re I mean, Nike Town was like the pinnacle of retail at the time. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever been to the one on 57th Street. Yes, in I have. York. Yeah. But I mean, it's like uh, that ex that whole experience was just like insane. Even like for New York, where you get really spoiled with retail, that was like retail theater at its best. Um, and so I just fell in love with the brand. I'm like, any brand does, does this, I want to be part of. Um, and, I mean, and I tried. I tried very hard. Um, and also, so I got, I, I got a couple of interviews. Um, and I, I think I didn't get like four of the jobs and then like someone had like passed my resume on to someone else that like literally needed like that experience, which was great. So, um, and and what, I started sorry to interrupt. What, what does a resume look like in marketing where it's highly creative? Is it still a two page? Um, two pages point, of... yeah, I mean, at that point I was like 26, I think. So, uh, was it even two pages? <laughs> if it was, it was just like a bunch of like... But what I mean is like, I listened to John Fleischer, um, a guy in Canada, and we had him on once, and he, like I'd, I'd seen him talk about why resumes are bad for business. And he was talking about how Da Vinci created the curriculum vitae and how have we not moved yeah. forward from two pages. So I'm often intrigued by, especially in the creative environment, like what, what 
what innovative things are happening there. Maybe we can come back to that. But yeah, I was just curious. I mean, yeah. said, uh, at the time, it definitely wasn't innovative in any way, shape, or form. It was like a straight, like full on US resume. Like, you know, this is where I went to school. This is blah, blah, blah. Uh, this is what I did. Let me list three bullet points. Um, yeah. So, and it was, a, I, I got in there because there was a, again, a guy who I interviewed with, and he's like, you're not right for this job. And to this day, thank him because that was a horrendous job. Um, but uh, I was so bad at him too because I, I like I just knew him from like going out or whatever. And I was like, it was so bad. I saw him like even out in the bar. And so I'm like, I can't believe that you didn't. Have, I mean, you know, because you're down in 26 and like a couple of drinks. Um, and um, and then he was like, calm down. Like I gave your CV to somebody or your resume to somebody else. Like God, kids. Um, <laughs> and, uh, to be fair, he did, and I um, I got that job, and that was great. It was a and it was a really great uh, career. I mean, I learned a ton about how to manage people remotely because so I started off working only in New York City and working on just the Macy's account, um, and then I did all the department stores. Then um, I did the whole country, so there was uh, between seven and twenty-seven people located throughout the uh, the country that worked for me, um, and they were, you know, either merchandisers or they were account managers for um, for different accounts. So that's really what I started to understand. Um, one, well, I guess learn about um, how to work well with people who work remotely and. Um, you know, I mean, I was basically like on a plane every week, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was a really interesting, um, interesting thing to go from, you know, working in an office to having to really be on a road to bring like the consistency of not even a home office because New York was a satellite office, uh, but bring that to the guys in the, in the uh, market. And so. I suppose what's, <clears throat> what's quite interesting is that back then, so like often we speak about if we speak to people around remote working has kind of existed for decades, but it's just the tools have become much better now. So like back then, how how did you sort of manage that? Like did you did you experience friction back then in particular with connectivity? hundred percent. Like I, back then when we were working, I, I remember when BlackBerry came out. That was a that was such a godsend. Yeah. I, Oh, I remember, I mean, not to date myself, but like two-way messaging pagers, that was... <laughs> so I've not, uh, not got any experience of using them, but I am a weirdo. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's probably good. Uh, it wasn't a great piece of technology. It's not around for a reason. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it, the, the tools have definitely become a lot better. I mean, obviously there was tons of, tons of phone calls and um, email and stuff, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely was a lot. A lot of it just happened like with meetings, so we would just fly to see each other essentially. So I mean, I, I was on the road probably at least half the time, if not more. Um, how did you did, How did you feel like doing? Was that tiring? Was it what was what was that experience like? Um, well, I I've done it throughout my career, and it was a lot easier when I was twenty five than it is now. Um, but now I get to fly business, so um, yeah, a bit of a trade off. Um, but I mean, even like yesterday, I went to um, I went to Stockholm for the day uh, to do like an agency review, and um, 
and just a meeting about a couple of the seasons and yeah like i came you know left at 6 a.m came back at 10 p.m and like i was done like <laughs> it's exhausting isn't it like stockholm's a lovely city but yeah it's it, albeit it's exhausting especially flying same day as well so yeah yeah but who yeah. knew but who knew when you were staring up at those aircrafts wondering who knew that you would be business class one day <laughs> i have to say like i did have a very short stint in the service industry okay i did very quickly learn that i don't actually care about people's needs that much <laughs> i shouldn't say that but in a restaurant setting like I don't care what you want. I really don't. <laughs> right, fair enough. It's not a good way. I was I waited for I think like four days. And I, I came to the realization that like, and I saw people who like genuinely were like, oh, like let me get like anticipating people's needs, and I'm like, that is not a skill I possess. So like when you were at Nike, what at what point did you think I'm going to go to Nike's biggest rival? <laughs> yeah, so the funny thing is i um i was happy as a clam like i they moved me from new york to portland um to do like a bigger job because all reads low to port or, or all roads lead to portland at some point um to the headquarters and port uh, adidas has their u.s headquarters in portland as well um and i got a call from a recruiter and um i mean i, I wasn't looking for a job uh and I went on an interview and I was like, oh, fine. Like, I'm not that into it. I, I'm quite happy where I am. Um, and then, I mean, it was a thing of economics at that point. I was like, I'm going to just think of a ridiculous number that you're never going to get to. Um, and they did. And that was like, that's just how my mind works. I'm like, if if this, then that. And, and it was high enough that I was like, there's no way. There's absolutely no way. It's funny why people do that, right? And the reason why I'm curious is one of my, someone I know, gosh, I need to be careful. Someone <laughs> someone I know had a similar type conversation recently and it was kind of like, oh, I'm really happy, but you know what? Ugh, I'm just going to throw this out there and they came back and went, yeah, yeah, that's doable. And he was like, what? <laughs> it does also teach you that like, you know, you're, you can make those where, like when you're not looking for a job and when you're happy and like satisfied, um, it's actually like, it is a lot easier to find a job because um, you just, you exude that as well. And like, and you've got the balls to be like, absolutely not. Like, no, I, I, I'll do it and I can do this job, but it, it's going to cost you. Um, there's and zero think, zero desperation. It's kind of like dating, isn't it? If you show yeah. too much attention, it's never going to happen. <laughs> this is why I always say it. I even say it to my team, which probably to my detriment, as like they leave. Um, but I'm like, you should never leave, you should never wait until you're miserable in a job to leave it because that will 100% come across and. Um, you know, I, we've all been in situations where, like, you're kind of desperate for a job and whatever. And, like, th the times where I've really wanted to change or needed a job um, are some of the, like, the worst negotiations I've ever done. Because I was just, you know, I was, like, happy to have a job. So you're like, yeah, sure, I'll do it for 50 cents and a, a box of matches or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's so definitely it's a... That that is another like really good lesson, and it's one I do try to impart onto people that that I work with. Just like even if you're starting to think about it, um, do something about it early on, because if you wait too long, 
it's it'll uh, you either won't get the job or you won't be in a position where you negotiate that well. Yeah, no, totally. I think um, there's a movie uh, up in the air with George Clooney where he's kind of firing people, uh, yeah. and um, J.K. Simmons. I think they're in an interview and he sort of says, "How much did they pay you to give up on your dreams?" And like it always resonates with me because the guy's been there for like thirty years. And he wanted to be like a chef, and then he gave up for like seventy grand, and then he he's got his kids, and then and there's a lot of people in the world like that. And don't get me wrong, like people need to pay bills, they need to pay mortgages. Um, from my own perspective, I'm the same. I have a mortgage, I have bills, yeah. but I'm still like I'm not chasing dreams. I'm just trying to be happy and do stuff that like makes me like I'm super engaged. I go up in the morning and I'm excited. I don't have Sunday blues that people talk about, and yeah. I'm very fortunate. But at the same time. I also know I could just be sitting in that same corporate job that I was in for years and not be that happy and not be that engaged. But yeah, life's life's too short. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, you see, I, I see it every day. It's a you know, I mean, uh, I would say the vast majority of the people I work with are quite engaged. But you know, there's four thousand people on campus. Like you're gonna see some people that are. There's just different priorities that people have. Like if if your priority is. Um, you know your family or whatever um, then yeah that might be okay uh, for me it's a I'm a very career-minded person and so I do have to get more satisfaction out of my career than probably the average person but that's okay I mean just we all make our choices yeah no totally like for me it's like it comes down to wellness happiness so you went to Adidas um, in Portland yeah still in Portland so I was um I started off uh, doing visual merchandising for all of the North American stores. Um, and it was great because it also, so at Adi, uh, I think it was like my second week and my boss was like, oh, by the way, I need you to go to Germany to meet with like the head of Global VM and, um, and she'll train you and whatever. Um, I'm like, no one even asked me if I had a passport. I mean, I did, thank goodness, but like, no one like bothered to like to just assume that like because international travel was something like I left an um after high school I took a couple of months and I did a whole like European tour which ended up being Italy and London for very personal reasons because uh, back then I fell in love easily. <laughs> we'll, come, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. It's a very different story for another podcast. Um, but yeah, I, um, so, and I really like got bitten by like the international bug, um, really with Adi, uh, and I was given some opportunities to go overseas just to do some meetings and stuff. Um, obviously them having a massive presence and being headquartered in Europe and gave me a lot of opportunities to travel here, but also, uh, some things in Asia and throughout the world. And so, um, yeah, and I, I mean, it was it, it was a great company. It's a great company now, um, uh, and I stayed for four years in uh, in different jobs. And funny enough, at the time, my boss kept trying to urge me to go to um, world headquarters in Germany, and I was like, I'm never going to work in Germany. Come on, like work in Germany. <laughs> Fast forward, but you know, never say never. Yeah, no, but I mean, Audi was was back then definitely working in a market. Also, I think this is kind of the big difference. Like now, working in global, um, I have to say, like it, it was really helpful to have worked in a market as well, and it's actually been helpful throughout my career to understand both uh, because there's just two sides to 
you know, there's the pressure of a market where like you've got to hit a number. Um, but then there's the pressure of global where like you have to have a consistency in the way you show up. Um, and so that's it, kind of like at odds with each other once in a while, but um, that's super interesting to understand both. And I actually like everyone that works for a, a big like global conglomerate should do time in both. Uh, you really understand um, the pressures of, uh, of the other. I totally agree. I think it's standing in the shoes of, of everyone that you can within the company and even customers as well, isn't it? Like I read, um, I was actually reading that Adidas have, have kind of got their, their largest ever co-creation beta test of running shoes at the moment. So yeah. like, even that's like really interesting to me that, that you guys are sort of doing that. That's that's really powerful as well. Like, um, yeah. Actually, my um my mentor to this day who was the senior vp of retail at the time um funny who lives as my neighbor now <laughs> uh but she uh, she did, she was doing a sit in the us and um uh, and she made us all go work in a store for a week and we had to do every job so like from unpacking a truck which is not that great uh working with customers, cash register, the whole nine yards. I'm like, and you really start to understand um, how difficult those jobs actually are because people just take it for granted. You know, like whenever someone says to me like, oh, well, the stores can just do it. I'm like, no, 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 uh, You need to think like spend another hour on it here before you make like 8,000 people throughout the world spend three more hours. It's funny. We're talking to some people at the moment and we're kind of like go out and understand what are the, jobs to be done what are the things people are trying to do and then how do the tools support them in achieving them rather than here's another tool go and use it or learn it like actually trying to understand what people are trying to achieve what problems they're trying to solve like and yeah. that's the same sort of thing isn't it like i think it's great that you guys went out and spent that time in the store and get a real appreciation for it because it does i think there's all the biggest disconnect i've seen from most corporate organizations and retail is exactly that that the people in corporate don't know what it's like They've never been here, and actually, the most successful um, board members have came from retail or contact center and stuff because they know it, they get it. So yeah, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I mean, it's like no matter how you feel about Walmart from a you know personal feeling point of view, um, uh, most of their um, their like divisional district managers and like people that go to corporate come from storeline, and it's, uh, it really makes for a much better, especially in operations. It makes for a much better and a much stronger team um, that really like understands the day to day, but also has that strategic overview that can actually say, you know what, we can take these three things and cut out sixty hours a week in store if we spend five hours a week in the HQ. So you were there, and then you rock up in New Zealand. <laughs> well, so, I, another life lesson. I'm like, I should have like a life lesson. Was this another? Was this an, another love adventure? No, no, no. no. This, was not a love adventure. this was um, there was a love adventure there, but that's again different podcast. Uh, no. Um, so another life lesson here, I would say, is um, your reputation follows you everywhere, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, and so actually, um. A former coworker of mine was the VP of global marketing at a company called called Icebreaker in New Zealand. It's um it's a merino wool company, and they were expanding really quickly. Um, and so, actually, my former boss at Nike uh, was really good friends with her, and um, 
and she had reached out and said, hey, does anyone know anybody that would be willing to move to New Zealand, um, help with um, retail marketing and just like design retail concepts and the whole nine yards. Um, and so she recommended me and I had a dinner with Roseanne. We basically were, uh, yeah, she was in Portland for, because uh, they, they had their US office in Portland as well. So yeah, we had a dinner in Portland and bottle of wine into it. I was like, I could move to New Zealand. Sure, why not? Like, I think I know where it is. <laughs> Near Australia somewhere. Um, yeah, so I like I basically moved there sight unseen. Um, and I mean, it's, it's two years, right? Like people go to jail for two years. I certainly live in like Wellington, New Zealand for two years. Um, Did you have like a map? Did you have a map in your apartment where you're like sticking little flags of all the places you've been? <laughs> I use the app Ben, uh, so <laughs> sixty-five countries and counting. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, but um, yeah, that and that one honestly was was more for like the international adventure. The, the job was also great as well, and I had worked up to that point only for much bigger companies, um, and so one of the things that got me to go is I interviewed with the CEO as well, and. Um, which was actually a really odd interview I'll tell you about in a minute. But one of the things he said during it was that like, um, you know, we're a really small company, but we act like a big company. So that both um, Nike and Adidas at the, at the time, like had a very specific job um, and it was pretty much defined. Uh, whereas at Icebreaker, it seemed like it would, I would get to do a lot more and learn a lot more. Um, and so boy, was he right. But it was a really funny interview because at one point, like he obviously decided that like the interview was done. I didn't know that. And he literally was like, I think it was like mid-sentence and he was like, okay, um, I like you, you seem smart. We're gonna deal with Roseanne. And he like threw some money down and walked away because we did it over breakfast. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of like sat there like. Did you, feel like a, did you feel like a male stripper in that moment? Leave the money on the, on the dresser and uh, <laughs> uh, no, I mean it was just an odd experience. Like, uh, you know, the guy's a CEO. He obviously has a lot to do. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a very interesting. Uh, well, it's weird, like what you remember, but that's that's my like recollection of an interview. Um, but yeah, so I did. I worked at a deal with Roseanne, and a couple of months later, I was in New Zealand. And, and how did uh, you find like New Zealand? Like, I've got we've got a co- I've got a couple of friends over there. Um, from New Zealand originally. Like one's still there, but um. Yeah, they, they talk very highly of New Zealand. So, it's I, I love it. So Wellington itself is um, it's brilliant. It's like a it's the best of Melbourne and San Francisco put together into a rainy, windy little place. <laughs> That's cool. So New Zealand, and then you ended up in Samsung. So when I read the Samsung deviation, which was a short period of time, like how how did that yeah. come about? Like, and also, why so short? Okay, so uh, New Zealand was great, great. Like, and I was an icebreaker for probably like three, three and a half years, um, and I, um, I left, and I was like, I traveled a bit, but then I realized at one point that I only had another like eight or nine months to get permanent residency in New Zealand. So I was, I like traveled throughout Thailand for three months, and then. I came back and when I realized that I was like, well, I'm going to stay for the eight months and get permanent residency just because why not? Um, and so <laughs> the, 
basically that's what it was. And like, uh, I moved to Auckland at the time uh, and I kind of wanted to do a bigger city as well. And yeah, Samsung was hiring. I was. So Samsung was the equivalent of when someone tries to find a person they can marry to get permanent residency. <laughs> <laughs> so they can stay in the country. That's what you're saying. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I learned a lot. Uh, I learned a ton about the CE space. Um, I learned that I don't want to work in it. Um, I, I, and listen, there's, again, it's a, a different skill set, different talent pool. Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely respect the way it works. And um, launching products in New Zealand was actually probably the best way to do it because, yes, there's pressure, but it's not pressure like in America or in Australia or whatever. Um, but, I mean, the guys took it really seriously, like, you're signing NDAs for every new product you work on. Um, and I mean, the they develop um, functionalities until like literally the night before it releases. It's really phenomenal how that industry works. I've, seen, I, that, I've seen that with their folding phones. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, that was Yeah, no, that's an amazing industry. One thing I was, I was curious about was you spoke about your your fascination with TV and film. Now, New Zealand was in its uh, its moment of the upward trajectory of TVs, movies, all sorts happening. Did you not fancy, oh, yeah. trying, did I, you not fancy trying I, to end on that? I've seen the almighty Johnsons uh, basically uh, shooting on a street right near my house. <laughs> uh, I've seen Go Girls do a production and uh, on the north side of New Zealand, but there was no uh, point. Was there no point where you thought I, I want to be an extra? I want to try and like push myself in there just for a, a bit of fun and like given that uh, you know what? No, my uh, my trainer at the time was an avatar, and so we we became friends. And he like one day we were like what? And he like paused it to like show me where he was, and I'm like Rodney, dude, like this is not. Like, yeah, I know you're in the film, but like big air quotes around that because there's like a slide past your face that's there for like four seconds um so then coming back so we, we land in europe so like you're like really are loving the international uh, mystery well, man <laughs> funny thing europe was another one of those so that uh that person i told you about my mentor um she basically uh called me up and she was like hey i um i've gone to a spree i've left adidas i need some help would you want to work in europe and i was like sure i'd love to work in europe where Germany. <laughs> um, so obviously inevitably i i ended up in germany uh working for uh for karen um, and yeah, it was, uh, it was super interesting. I actually, this was another one of those, uh, things where I, my team was all over Europe. Um, so I basically ran VM for, um, for all of the European retail for Esprit. So that was, I think 17 or 18 countries. Um, and super interesting from like, like culture shock from a work perspective, um, you know, you put all those people together in a room and um, everyone is like, you really like start to notice the personalities and like even the differences down to between like how like 
Germans and Austrians are similar, but still have. So how did you sort of like? How did you cope with that from the kind of cultural diversity of, like even just so from merchandising from the retail stores? Like how how do you sort of approach that? Basically, the guys before were just like taking a photo and executing it in store, and the brief was to make them more of like a trainer, but someone that also takes business into account, um, because obviously. Spain and Finland are two different markets and have two different seasons or whatever. So, um, so really, it was uh, a lot more about like changing their mind shift and what they did, um, and the cultural stuff. I mean, that was that was more of like personal growth. I mean, because end of the day, like, yeah, it, English was the language and it's what we worked in. But, um, but it was it was just interesting to see like how to motivate different teams and like what gets different people to um to do a job and what's important to them what's not important to them so yeah it was a a very a very quick and good hard lesson in um european stereotypes to a point i guess but also like stereotypes exist for a reason um uh, <laughs> and it's a, but i did i definitely like I learned a ton just about working with um, with different European cultures all in the same room at the same time because I'd worked with different cultures throughout my career and like that's fine, um, but having to like run a two day meeting with people from Italy, Spain, France, the Netherlands, UK, Germany, Finland, um, Hungary, and Poland, it like or I'm sure I, I missed a few countries in there somewhere, but um, Benelux. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it's definitely you, you really have to uh, cater for everyone, but also like stick to a message. So fun. Back to Adidas. So yeah, yeah. In between, I did open an agency. So oh, I, right, okay. yeah, you know, everyone that's worked on the client side has that dream of like. I can do this better. Let me tell you something. You can't. So what? Uh, so what happened then? So you went. You went away uh, and created your own agency. Did was it yourself? Was it a one man band? It was, was it kind of? It was just me, and I bit off more than I could chew in the beginning. I did um, a massive project with a really large client, um, and I very quickly went from like selling an idea to and like working with like one freelance designer. To having like 17 people on a project that had like architects and interior designers and like a, a plumber at one point um uh, <laughs> and for a, a fairly large hotel chain um anonymity shall be <laughs> shall be retained um but yeah that one was i mean at one point i was like pouring like my life savings into like payroll because big clients don't pay their bills on time which is something that no one teaches you until you're there um and if you don't have like a cash cow client then you shouldn't be taking any clients uh you know like all these lessons that i've learned and like it really just kind of like that one and a couple of like small other projects were great but like that big one burnt me and i was like you know what not for me like again skill set wise like could i do it probably do i want to uh not not my favorite I be, I gave the agency a year, and a year after, like literally to the day, um, I w I got the job at Audi, and 
you know, it was digital and retail, which I started doing a lot of digital at Icebreaker as well. And it was quite early on. So like I went from just retail to doing omnichannel. Um, and so sort of have gone like back and forth. And even at Esprit, I had a couple of chances to do um, sort of like store of the future. Uh, they, they divested from some of it, which was a bit hard to be honest, but um, but I mean, that's fine. It is what it is, you know, here happens throughout life. So do you guys, uh, so do you guys do, obviously you spoke about the, the need to like work with people remotely so within Adidas headquarters. With the exception of retail, is, is there remote working that, that happens in Adidas? Do you have like home workers or different things like that? Um, the campus can only hold so many people. So actually everyone's encouraged to work from home or somewhere in Germany with uh, if, you, or if you work here. So work offsite for at least one day a week. Um, and also uh, at the moment, the guys are putting in, um, it's called the arena system, which basically like it's hot desks for everyone, but the each department has like their area and that area has like, I don't know, 60% desks out of a hundred percent of the people. But then you have like a group working area, a quiet working area, like phone booths to do uh, calls. You have like convertible meeting rooms and stuff. So they've really designed it to, um, to meet the needs of, uh, of how we do business, which is really great. Um, and they've done a ton of research of like, you know, what different departments need um, and sort of how they work. So that's uh, that's really cool. So that's that's actually being bought in now, which is quite exciting. Yeah, that's interesting. I also read a lot about um, the fashion for goods. Like, obviously, there's a lot of, um, I think you spoke about very early in your career when you saw some of the conditions and that really was close to your heart. So, like, are you involved in any of the, or, or what sort of stuff are, are Adidas doing? I've seen the the ocean jerseys that you guys do in sportswear like yeah. and and obviously there's a, a big move towards organic materials and renewable and um, plastic free stuff so yeah yeah it'd be good to hear a little bit about that yeah yeah there's a bunch of stuff that we're doing like that we don't really necessarily publicize because we actually do it because it is um it's close to the hearts of the people in the business so um like our um our CMO is, I would say, an environmentalist is a good way to describe him. Um, and so he and a lot of the people in the business truly believe that, um, you know, it, our motto is um, through sport, we have the power to change the world. Um, and so and we really do live that. So one of the things that we do is we basically um, we've taken out all of the single use plastic out of every HQ within a year um we're working to do that in every store and after that every factory that we work with um so that's um that's definitely again that's a you know one of the like quiet initiatives that we work on we don't publicize it but um but it is it, it makes a massive difference um so our partnership with parlay is um is massive and so we do run for the oceans but um we actually it goes further than that. We actually clean up uh, a lot of oceans. Uh, I mean, if you really, if you read some of the statistics, like there's islands the size of countries of garbage floating in our oceans, which is really horrible. So um, we actually go and take that plastic out, and then um, and are essentially turning that into footwear and apparel, um, and it's all recyclable as well. Uh, we have the recycle your shoes and apparel program. So all of our stores, we have 
places where you can like put in your old stuff and we will recycle it in a way that doesn't har harm the environment. Um, there's a new initiative um, called Loop, which uh, you might have read about. And that, that's where we're really looking at um, using materials over and over again. So um, when you basically, after you're done with a shoe or apparel, you bring it back and like we fully recycle it to make it into products again. So um, yeah, trying to uh, really like cut down our carbon footprint. The other thing um, that is an initiative uh, is we really try to, and of course I completely violated this yesterday by flying for the day, but um, we tried to reduce our carbon footprint. So um, really taking a very critical look at like meetings and um, and can we do it via Skype or can we do it via a teleconference rather than, um, rather than flying to it? Um, some meetings obviously you have to um but yeah it's like even like on a plane yesterday i was like oh could i have and it's like there there's a few nuances like that you definitely want to be there for uh, but i think you know as technology gets better uh we're able to do that less and less yeah, yeah. and in terms of like one thing i find interesting about um especially in sports we were like so if you look at nike and you look at adidas and and some of the others like these aren't new organizations. So one thing I was going to ask you a little bit about is what, what from from the inside out, like when most people talk about disruptive innovators and disruptive companies, they talk about the incumbents and the ones that have been there for ages and how they're struggling. But not many people say that about Adidas or say that about Nike, despite them being around for forever. Like in terms of, I think Adidas was, was it 40s, 50s, I think? Don't yeah, know, yeah. Right? Um, Nike yeah. was what seventy two. Um, so like from the inside out, how do you guys, how do you guys keep sort of recycling that, like renewing that, keeping the company innovative, keeping it fresh, keeping the culture relevant? Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's funny because that does. Um, so we're enabled to do it. Like one, I think it's the power of the brand, right? So the power just uh, the the brand attracts um, really talented people. Um, and even though we're in like a village in the middle of nowhere in Germany, um, you know, we have access to like Nuremberg Airport, for example, goes to London direct twice a day, Paris four times a day, Amsterdam six times a day, um, Berlin, Barcelona, whatever. So like for a small regional airport, we have a lot of access. Um, but also there's a lot of industry around here. Um, Adidas in particular, though, um, we have, uh, we've set up places all around the world. So we have offices in San Francisco where like our VC guys sit and they're close to, um, close to all of like, you know, the uh, Silicon Valley guys. Um, we do hackathons for, uh, basically startups where we give them a problem and they come in and like 40 of them will present. Um, and anyone of the, from the business can, uh, basically put up a problem or they're able to uh, sit in and see if any of those uh, of the solutions could be viable for their business. And if they are, then we have a way to get those um, those startups into the business or that technology into the business. Um, you know, we're small things like we're able to go to um, conferences and uh, and we try to like split them up amongst people just so that like like I try to go to at least one in silicon valley um every year just to get a sense of like are the priorities that we're setting the right priorities 
Um, you know, and we think they are obviously because we have some smart people working for us and, you know, we do all the research and stuff, but like, um, I remember like two years ago, um, I was at the mobile venture summit in San Francisco and just talking to, uh, at the time, the CMO of G capital ventures. And we were just like talking about, you know, the stuff that we're working on. And, um, and it was just a really great validator of the fact that like, yeah, we might not be a hundred percent spot on, but like. 80 to 90% of the stuff that we're working on um, is one relevant for us as a company, two relevant for our consumers and three relevant in the business. And like, even if we're not getting it right, we know that um, some places uh, like a Google or a Tinder or eBay or whatever are also struggling with similar things. So it's, um, so just having that uh, that connection to those companies. So it's good that you guys um, have got that because I think that's where a lot of incumbents and corporates fall down, isn't it? They, they don't have people actually looking on the outside and sort of uh, the rate of change that's happening and, and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, it's a, but I think that we know that there's, it's such a competitive industry. Like, I mean, it really, this is why, like, you know, we make fun of the non-competes and stuff. But like, yeah, I mean, the minute that I like told Mikey I was going to Adidas, like, my BlackBerry stopped working pretty much two minutes later. And, you know, it is like you're, we do work in an, uh, uh, an environment where, you know, the next shoe isn't probably going to make or break the company, but like it really can break, make more than break, I guess, is, is, is the word. So, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, as competitive in a different way as the CE sector probably. Um, so, yeah, I, and we have to stay on top of it. You know, we're not a technology company. We know that. but. Um, but we do understand that like digital is, it's not really even like digital first, like digital is just woven into everything that we do because. That's really good, encouraging to hear, isn't it? Because 2019. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And people are sort of hiring CDOs and, and all this sort of stuff, but I'm hearing quite a lot of people complaining that why would you, they get why you'd maybe need, need some of that influence in the board level, but the other debate that's happening at the moment is, well, it should be interwoven across your organization yeah. anyway. so. Like it shouldn't even be like you say digital force. So naturally, cool that you guys have are, are that progressive. I mean, don't get me wrong. From the outside, it does look like you guys do some really innovative stuff, and it seems really fascinating. Mikey have obviously got that sort of reputation as well. Yeah, and honestly, I think that's part of what um, what keeps both companies really good is like we we are, and for a very long time, we were a much smaller challenger, and we're still obviously not the size of Nike, but, um, but especially in the last few years, we've really come up and it's, um, yeah, the, the two challenging each other is really what keeps us at our best. Yeah. I think that's quite an, quite an insightful thing to say, actually, because it's kind of like in sports in general, like the teams need competition, don't they? Like, yeah, the teams that dominate for years and years without any challenges, it starts to stagnate and become uninteresting. And yeah, yeah, it's quite, quite nice. Uh, yeah, nice little link there. <laughs> and in terms of, like, one of the things that's interesting as well is, like, Nike's footprint um, in terms of the retail estate from their own stores com yeah. by comparison to Adidas. So, like, but also, like, most people who have great insight into the industry know the dynamic and the shift between what retail used to be to what it is today. So what's the kind of vision around that in terms of Adidas and, and how you guys see that? Um... Uh, you know, how we see it as a company is probably a bit of a secret. Um, I can tell you how I see it. Um, 
win on um you have to win in either one two or all three areas and that's um convenience value and experience um if you could get all three brilliant um but you can put like so primark wins on value but it's a shit experience and um and it's not very convenient right um uh i think you know there there's a few like uh farfetch wins on convenience and experience but not really value so i think that's sort of the like if you can get two out of the three it's like the, um good fast cheap you can get two out of the three but never all three at the same time um, I, I think that's the retail triangle and like if you win one that's great if you win experience amazing um there's always going to be consumers that are going to want that experience and that also becomes like a brand validator or um, a brand amplifier and then convenience well this is where you have kind of like the big city thing where people are willing to pay more to get their stuff in two hours i'm like that's fine so if you can play in all those areas or a few of those areas then you win <laughs> <laughs> we always finish up the uh, podcast by asking well we used to ask what keeps you up at night but i've kind of changed it now so this isn't literal because people have kind of been taking it literally but what gets you up in the morning so i suppose for you like yeah what, what gets you up in the morning um yeah i mean for me it's um definitely like team um that sort of is like I, throughout my career i've always had a fairly like decent sized team to manage and uh so like those guys and like their happiness and their productivity and their wellness is kind of like um my gig and then the other thing is um i guess a bit selfishly is that uh i'm you know a kid from like a crap part of poland um that now has influence on how multi-billion uh euro companies get to do business so yeah i think it's amazing like that you reference that because let's be honest like i think it's it's an amazing story like i've really enjoyed sort of listening and learning just from a 10 year old kid coming from poland over the us and yeah you should be like super proud like the different companies you've you worked for and like contributed to but also like just experiences it's really interesting so yeah and we didn't even touch upon your love life I mean, how much more interesting is it going to get? That's a, yeah. I guess a podcast altogether. Yeah. So, that's, yeah, those are, those are the two. Nice one. Oh, that's us. Yeah. We're all done. See, it wasn't painful at all. No, it was great. Totally. Cool. All right, thanks. thanks. Speak to you later. Take care. There were so many great things to consider from our conversation. I think one thing that really shone through for me was Suave's courage to try things, to really go for it and then figure it out, whether it was a new organisation, a new challenge or country. Thanks for your time, Suave. It was really great to catch up. Well, that's it for another episode of Enlighten. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back soon with another interesting guest with a story to tell. Now, if you haven't already, please subscribe to Enlighten on iTunes, Spotify and SoundCloud, or rate our show as well. If you want to be part of the conversation, you can tweet us at, at EnlightenPod. Speak to you again soon. Take care.